Hey guys, I anticipated that this time of year things would get a little hectic and it'd be harder for me to put out episodes on time, and boy was I right. I know I'm supposed to have the Waverly follow-up episode out for you all, but I'm actually still working on it and uh, waiting for Gary to send me some of the recordings. So it should be here by the end of the week. But in the meantime, I wanted to give you something to listen to. So here's what I did. This is what we're going to call a Kentucky History and Haunts road trip, meaning it didn't actually happen in Kentucky, but not far from Kentucky. I'm staying regional, and one of our main characters does have Kentucky roots. So I'm going to do this from time to time um, because, you know, a lot of cool stuff happens in Ohio and Indiana and West Virginia. And you know what? Ohio is kind of bananas. Like, their true crime history is, whew, there's something in the water. So, also, there are so many wonderful Kentucky-related topics to talk about, but I knew I wasn't going to have a ton of time to research and write them properly this week, which is why today I'm just giving you a dose of classic true crime and saving those meatier subjects for a time when I can properly present them to you. So, for today, this is the story of Della Fay Dante Sartorius. Our story starts in Oxford, Kentucky, where Della Fay Hall was born on August 8, 1950. I can't find much about her early life, but I can tell you about Oxford. On the internet, Oxshire is referred to as an unincorporated community and census-designated place in Floyd County, Kentucky. To give you an idea of how small town we're talking, it recorded 669 people in the 2010 census. 661 of those people were white, and two of them were black. If you're not familiar with Floyd County, Oxier is in eastern Kentucky, about halfway between Paintsville and Prestonburg. So that's where Della Fay Hall was born. I do know that her father died when she was young. According to Murderpedia, Hall dropped out of high school and married her first husband, 18-year-old Joseph Hoffer, when she was 19 years old. They had one child together, which ended up living with Joseph when they got a divorce after just four years of marriage. Now stay with me here. Della Fay was 24 the next time she got married, this time to a 23-year-old James Byer, who was a plumber. Her second marriage lasted five years. Next, she married a graphic artist named Grant Bassett, who would later tell reporters he recalled Della threatening to kill him. They got a divorce after only nine months. There went husband number three. In between husbands three and four, she dated a stockbroker named Lawrence Wolker, who said she told him she was pregnant and threatened to kill him if she had a miscarriage. Lucky husband number four was David Bridian, a computer consultant. He later told reporters the only reason he survived their marriage was because he kept all the ammo in their house hidden. They were married when Della Fay was 41 and Bridian was only 29, and their marriage ended after three years. Enter Dr. Daryl J. Sartorius. 54-year-old Dr. Sartorius, father of four, had been separated from his wife of 30 years for a while, and the divorce was newly final. 
He'd been telling his friends that he wished he could find a relationship as happy as all of theirs. And then one day, he connected on a dating service with a woman named Dante. I forgot to mention this cringeworthy detail. Della had decided to go by Dante at some point in her 20s because she thought Della sounded, quote, too African-American. So Dr. Satorius matched with this Dante Britian woman on a dating service, and he was pretty excited about it. She was an attractive woman, I'll give her that. And Dr. Satorius was a heart surgeon in Cincinnati, so I think Dante probably saw the dollar signs immediately. It didn't hurt that he was six foot three and handsome with bold facial features. Dante was recently divorced too and 10 years his junior. They would be married roughly four months after their first meeting. Before they were married, friends recalled that Dr. Satorius was hesitant to let them meet Dante for reasons they couldn't really understand. But the few times they did get to meet her, they noted how devoted to her Daryl seemed and how standoffish Dante seemed. Dante picked out her own diamond wedding band, and not long after, Daryl presented a prenuptial agreement, an agreement Dante refused to sign. In March of 1995, they returned home from a trip to Florida, announcing to their friends and family they'd tied the knot. Interesting side notes here. Dante never really told her previous husbands much about herself before she married them, but she did reveal that she'd been with some pretty famous people, including talk show host Jerry Springer. Uh, Springer has publicly commented he doesn't remember her. Another one of her ex-boyfriends believed she set his bed on fire in the 1980s. One thought she may have set his house on fire. Others recalled how she had a hard time keeping a job and, consequently, paying rent. She was a suspect in an arson investigation in California as well. She also lived in Dallas for a while with third husband Grant Bassett. It's while they were there in 1989 that Dante told Grant she was pregnant, then told him she had a miscarriage, but refused to see a doctor. When things went south with Bassett, That's when she had that incident with Lawrence Wolker back in Cincinnati. Now, she married husband four, David Bridian, after that, and he saw on their marriage application that she was six years older than she'd told him. Then she told him she was pregnant. But again, she wasn't. They moved to Kansas City, where, instead of getting a job, Dante apparently stayed home and watched true crime all day, which, I mean, I get it. But you have to have some balance, okay? Work during the day, true crime at night. Anyway, we know that marriage didn't last, and after a while, Dante ended up back in Ohio, married to husband number five, our Dr. Daryl Satorius. And here's where things get even more interesting. You see, Dr. Satorius looked good on paper, but he was also described as a, quote, moody, demanding perfectionist with an explosive temper by Cincinnati Magazine. He was chief of thoracic surgery at Bethesda North Hospital, where he was known by all who interacted with him as difficult and even verbally abusive. Some people wouldn't even work with him. 
he was also known as a great surgeon. Fearless, calm, cool, and collected. Like, hint, hint, psychopath, hint, hint, maybe. Not long after meeting Dante, he bought a house in the suburbs for them, and it seemed like they were naturally going to settle into this normal second marriage for Daryl and, well, fifth marriage for Dante. Dr. Sartorius's oldest daughter, Deborah, saw some red flags right off the bat, though. One of the most daunting was when she visited their new home just a few days before they were married, and she noticed that her dad was sleeping in a master bedroom on the first floor while Dante was using a bedroom on the second floor. Kind of odd for newlyweds, wouldn't you say? Now, what happened was, after they'd been married a few months, they started arguing over, I bet you can guess, right? Money. They were arguing over money. See, Dr. Sartorius had not been the best with money management, and he bought a lot of stuff and then got divorced and lost a lot of stuff and a lot of money. And so I think Dante may have been a little underwhelmed by the bank account she thought she'd married into. So things got a little tense. You know, for Dante, it was all about the money. Exes said they had seen her with books with titles like How to Marry Money. One ex said he referred to she referred to him as Daddy Warbucks regularly. I mean, it sounds like everyone who knew her knew that it was all about the money for her. And so when there was way less of it than she thought there would be, it was a problem. There appeared to be a tipping point when one of Daryl's daughters, Debbie, announced that she was engaged. She told them she wanted to have a small wedding, to which Dante replied something like, Well, I hope so. You're only a waitress. You can't afford an elaborate wedding. Implying she didn't intend to let Daryl help pay for the wedding at all. And apparently, Dr. Sartorius just sat there. And to make matters worse, Debbie later called the house and told Dr. Sartorius she didn't want Dante at her wedding. And Dante was listening in on the conversation, and so as you can imagine, she did not take that well. There was actually a recording that surfaced later of Debbie leaving messages on their machine telling Dante that she was selfish and just another one of her father's possessions. So just a really ugly scene all around. The family dynamics were not good. Then in December of 1995, Dante Satorius called a psychiatrist, Dr. Lewis Spitz, and she told Dr. Spitz that her husband needed help, and he agreed to talk with them both on January 6, 1996. Dr. Spitz later recalled their tumultuous marriage. He said the husband was obviously depressed and the wife was, quote, vicious. Dr. Sartorius told Dr. Spitz about the things his wife did to him, like telling all his friends he was impotent, or calling the IRS and telling them he was committing tax fraud. She would call referring physicians and tell them he couldn't be trusted. She was ruining his life, and... She didn't deny any of the accusations. After that first meeting, Dr. Sartorius kept seeing Dr. Spitz without Dante present. He would tell Dr. Spitz he felt completely stuck in the marriage and, frankly, afraid. He kept a heavy chair pushed against his bedroom door at night so she couldn't sneak in. He told the psychiatrist, quote, 
she will kill me and get away with it. Things really escalated from there. At some point, he called Dante's mother, who confirmed that she believed her daughter could, in fact, be dangerous. Then he called his brother-in-law, a retired Columbus police officer, to tell him about the gun he knew Dante had. And his brother-in-law advised him to get rid of it immediately, turn it over to the police. Uh, He also met with his attorney, who told him pretty much the same thing. Uh, And then he met with his attorney on January 22nd, 1996, to talk about how Dr. Satorius could begin the divorce proceedings. And then on the 24th, he took the gun from Dante's bedroom and turned it over to police. Meanwhile, Dante was out at bars already, flirting with new men, telling them her husband had cut off her credit cards and that she thought he was cheating on her. Then on February 7th, Dante showed up at a PNC bank totally unhinged, crying that her husband was leaving her and taking all her money. She was trying to close her accounts and withdraw whatever money was left. There were some CDs worth $1,000 each, and the other account was overdrawn, at which point she apparently told the assistant branch manager, quote, that son of a bitch was supposed to deposit $500. So that was a scene. But Dr. Satorius told his psychiatrist that things were better on February 10th, calm even. That Monday, he told his attorney he wanted to go ahead and start the divorce proceedings, and he also wanted a temporary restraining order against Dante, fearing her reaction to the divorce. He confirmed with the attorney's office that he would be in on February 19th to sign papers. The Friday before that, Dante had lunch with a friend. During that lunch, she told her friend that the marriage was just an absolute mess, that Daryl had attempted suicide, and that she was thinking about buying a gun. And at 8.45 the next morning, she did just that. And at noon, she bought ammo. Dr. Satorius had an appointment with Dr. Spitz that morning. Then he went to work to check on his patients. He stopped at Kroger for groceries on the way home that evening. Then on Monday morning, February 19, 1996, some of Dr. Satorius's colleagues were getting concerned. Uh, they were trying to get a hold of him to alert him that one of his patients wasn't doing well and they weren't getting any response. And so they alerted police who headed to the house in Sims Township, Ohio to investigate. When they first saw Dr. Satorius lying in the basement, dead from a gunshot wound to the head, they weren't sure if it was homicide or suicide. But they were able to arrest Dante anyway because they found a pretty good amount of cocaine in her possession. Uh, She got out on bail initially, and then she was arrested again and formally charged with the murder of her fifth husband seven days later after they learned about her gun and ammo purchases. Uh, Also, gunshot residue had confirmed that she was the one who fired the weapon. In what I think was probably a very good move, and is typical for the system, Della slash Dante Satorius did not take the stand during her own murder trial. 
Her lawyers argued on her behalf that they did not have enough evidence to rule out suicide. They ultimately failed, though, and on June 7, 1996, an Ohio jury found Satorius guilty of aggravated murder, use of a gun and a crime of violence, and drug possession after deliberating for less than five hours. She was sentenced to the max for these crimes, which was at the time 23 to life. An appeal was denied in 1997, and she served out her sentence at the Ohio Reformatory for Women until her death on November 20, 2010. She died of natural causes. She would have been eligible for parole in another four years after her death in 2014, uh, but she died at 60 years old. Aphrodite Jones, who wrote the book The Embrace about Rod Farrell, also wrote a book about Della slash Dante. It's called Della's Web. I haven't read it, but I figured I'd give her a shout out. It's probably pretty good if you want more details on this case. Uh, Jones is a crime reporter, and she always conducts an insane amount of interviews for her research. So check that out if you want to know more about this case. I bet some of you remember it. Um, I I imagine it was probably, probably headline news when it happened. So yeah. Uh, But that's it, y'all. That's the story of Della slash Dante, Hall, Hoffer, Byer, Bassett, Britty, and Sartorius. So I'll be back in just a few days with that Waverly episode. Stay tuned.